Welcome to Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This is class number eight on missionary work. The how and the why and the what we receive for faithful service in the Lord's vineyard. Foundations of the Restoration. Truth was restored in the order of its importance. The most important truth that came is the knowledge of Heavenly Father. We know who we worship. That is the restoration. Everything else pales in comparison to the reality that we have re- that God has restored the knowledge of who He is. The next piece that came was the Book of Mormon. And again, the primary point of the Book of Mormon is to reveal the nature of God. But the Book of Mormon legitimizes the restoration. I know there was an apostasy. And that's a hard thing to prove. You don't have authority. You're missing your authority. You can't prove that someone lacks authority. The only thing you can do is say, I can show you legitimately that there was a restoration. And if there was a restoration, why was there a restoration? Because there was an apostasy. So the Book of Mormon legitimizes the restoration. We have something tangible, very clear. I don't want to use the word proof, but you know what I mean by that. While they were translating the Book of Mormon, they received the keys of the priesthood. Again, what's the main purpose of the priesthood? Bring us back to Heavenly Father. With the Book of Mormon, with the keys of the priesthood, what were we then able to restore? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the restored church. Now, we have been talking about this kind of big picture, build Zion, where are we going, preparing the world for the coming of the Savior. So last week we took a look at the mission of the church is to accept the birthright responsibilities of Abraham, gather Israel, save them into families that are eternal. So we then talked about the Kirtland Temple. where we received those particular keys. Kirtland brought three main keys. Abrahamic responsibility to save the world. Moses brought the ability and the responsibility to gather Israel from everywhere that they went. And then Elijah brought the keys to seal them for eternity. So let's tackle those now And this is where it gets a little complicated because I can't just keep drawing lines that go like this. It gets a little complicated, right? So I'm just going to draw a line up here. Coming out of the church, we must. We must preach the gospel. We must gather Israel. So, missionary work. All right. You tell me where you want to go. Here are the questions. Where is Israel? Where did they go? Where do we need to go to get them? Who? Why? You don't spell how with a W. (laughs) How? And 
I'm gonna, I don't know how to word this. Because I don't, I don't think we do it for ourselves, but I think you need to understand there is a relationship between God and missionaries that does not exist anywhere else. Those who preach the gospel get something, get attention from a divine source. And I want to talk about that. So I don't think we have time for all of them. If you had to pick two, what would you pick? Should we vote? Anyone want to speak? Let me hear your arguments. Okay. So I got to vote here and I got to vote here. How and what do I, this one? Okay. Why and what? Who? Actually, no. Who and what? Sorry. Who and what? Okay. From where and why? From where and why? Bella, what's your choice? Uh, what and how? How? Okay. Okay. You know what? I'm going to stop there and say I think. We've got enough to say, let's focus on, I think we might be able to do those three. Let's try. Let's try and do why do missionary work? How do missionary work? And then what does the missionary receive by doing missionary work? I want to end there because I, I need those of you who have sacrificed dearly to serve a mission to fully understand what you were, were, were given. And those of you contemplating a mission and are facing major obstacles, I need you to understand what the pay is for missions. So we'll do that first. So why? Why are we doing missionary work? Why do missionary work? Let me pitch two whys. Among all the whys that we could give, let me pitch two whys of the missionary work. Why number one? I don't know if anyone ever, we did this briefly last class, but let me do it with a little bit more emphasis. <clears throat> Have you ever wondered why there's blood and terror and destruction associated with the second coming? If, if you don't understand that, the message seems to be that we worship a vengeful God who's coming to get even. And when he comes, he destroys everyone who didn't worship him. And what do you know about Heavenly Father? What do you know about Jesus? That is not true. And so why is there death and destruction? Why is there blood? Okay, and so we need to understand the purpose of this life required a mortal telestial state. It was terrestrial in Eden. It fell and became telestial. Now, who can dwell on a celestial planet? Celestial people can certainly dwell on a celestial planet. Terrestrial people can dwell on a celestial planet. And celestial people, this planet is tolerant of all sorts of wickedness. And even though it torments her and she cries out for relief, this planet can endure all sorts of celestial, terrestrial, and celestial living. For the purposes of God, 
what will this earth be during the thousand year millennial state? It will be a terrestrial world. Now, I don't know that I can fully explain why, but during the millennium, this will be a terrestrial world. Who can dwell on a terrestrial world? Celestial and terrestrial. True or false, this world will be filled with terrestrial people during the thousand years of the millennium. True. There will be people on the millennium that will not end up in the celestial kingdom. The earth will be terrestrial. But who cannot dwell on a terrestrial planet? Terrestrial planet. That is the reality. That simple reality changes the whole dynamic of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Because everything that is celestial has two choices. It either changes or it cannot stay on earth. It cannot remain on earth and it must go away. This earth is going to be cleansed. And anyone doing telestial has to go away. Now, which of those two would Heavenly Father prefer? And so he has engaged an entire army to help him change everything telestial into terrestrial. And that's why we do missionary work. We do missionary work to save as many sheep as we possibly can. Allow me to tug at your heartstrings a little bit. I just think this is the best description of why we do missionary work. The day school was out at the beginning of each summer, our family went to our ranch in Wyoming. It was there with my parents and brothers and sisters and cousins mixed in that I learned about family loyalty, love and concern, birth and death, that one must finish a job once it started. And to quote my father, there are only two things important, the family and the church. One year my father was waiting for us as we arrived. He said he had a big job for my brother Clay and me to do that summer. I was about 12 at the time and my brother was two years older. Pointing to the field by the side of the house, he said, do you see all of the lambs in that field? I'll share the money we get for the ones we raise when we sell them in the fall. Well, we were excited. Not only did we have a significant job to do, but we were going to be rich. There were a lot of lambs in that field, about 350 of them. And all we had to do was feed them. However, there was one thing that my father hadn't mentioned. None of the lambs had mothers. Just after shearing, there was a violent storm that chilled the sheep, and Dad lost a thousand ewes that year, and the mothers of our lambs were among them. Now, to feed one or two baby animals is one thing, but to feed 350 is something else. It was hard. There was plenty of grass, but the lambs couldn't eat the grass. They didn't have teeth. They needed milk. So we made some long V-shaped feeding troughs out of some boards, got a great big tin wash tub, ground up some grain, and then added milk to make a thin mash. And while my brother poured the milk into the troughs, I rounded up the lambs, herded them to the troughs, and I said, eat. (laughs) Well, they just stood there looking at me. 
Although they were hungry and there was food in front of them, they still wouldn't eat. No one had taught them how to drink milk out of a trough. So I tried pushing them toward the troughs. Do you know what happens when you try to push sheep? Well, they run the other way. And when you lose one, you could lose them all because others will follow. That's the way with sheep. So we tried lining them up along the troughs and pushed their noses down in the milk, hoping that they'd get a taste and want some more. We tried wiggling our fingers in the milk to get them to suck on our fingers. And a few of them would drink, but most of them ran away. And many of their lambs were just slowly starving to death. The only way we could be sure that they were being fed was to pick them up in our arms two at a time and feed them like babies. And then there were the coyotes. At night, the coyotes would sit up on the hill and they'd howl. And the next morning, we'd see the results of their night's work and would have two or three more lambs to bury. And the coyotes would sneak up on the lambs, scatter the herd, and then pick out the ones they wanted and go after them. And the first were those that were weak or that were separated from the flock. And often in the night, when the coyotes came and the lambs were restless, my dad would take out his rifle and shoot in the air to scare them away. We felt secure when my dad was home because we knew our lambs were safe when he was there to watch over them. Clay and I soon forgot about being rich. All we wanted to do was save our lambs, and the hardest part was seeing them die. Every morning we'd find five, seven, ten lambs that had starved to death during the night. And some the coyotes got, and others just starved, surrounded by food that they couldn't or wouldn't eat. And part of our job was to gather up the dead ones and help dispose of them. I got used to that, and it really wasn't so bad until I named one of my lambs. Well, it was an awkward little thing with a black spot on its nose and always under my feet. But it knew my voice, and I loved my lamb because it was one that I had held in my arms and had fed with a bottle like a baby. And one morning, my lamb didn't come when I called. I found it later that day. It was under the willows by the creek, and it was dead. So with tears streaming down my face, I picked up my lamb and went to find my father. And looking up at him, I said, Dad, isn't there someone who can help us feed our lambs? Isn't there anyone here? Isn't there someone that can help me save as many as we possibly can save? Will you? That's the why. Because if people don't change, the alternative is to go away and be destroyed. And I just need you to hear that plea. Isn't there anyone that can help me feed my lambs? Before we leave this one, let me just, would you turn with me to the book of Revelation? Revelation is kind of the story of the earth and the end of the earth. 
Chapter 7 is the, you know, give us time to save the, the righteous in the forehead. Allow us to go out and save. Chapter 8 and chapter 9 are the destruction. Chapter 8 and chapter 9 are, is where the earth gets destroyed. And millions, hundreds of thousands, and millions. Notice in verse, sorry, let me get there. Notice in verse nine, chapter 9. Um, uh, we don't have time. But just all the destruction of 8 or 9. Verse 20 of chapter 9, the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of their works, the works of their hands that they should not worship the devil, they were destroyed. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions. And then all of a sudden in chapter 10, so destruction in eight, destruction in nine, and then chapter 10. And all of a sudden, this very odd little story. Verse eight. Well, oh, wait, we've got to get, get the book. Verse 2, an angel comes down, and in verse 2, he has a book in his hand. And the angel, another angel comes down and says to John, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea upon the earth. And he went and said, Give me the little book, and he ate it up. That's an odd story, right? The earth is getting cleansed, and John's eating a book. So turn to section 77 and tell me what's the book. And notice, before we turn there, when he eats the book, what are the two words associated with the book? Bitter, bitter and sweet. He ate the book and it was bitter and he ate it up and it was sweet and bitter. Now go to section 77, Q&A on the book of Revelation. Now tell me, what is the book that John saw and was asked to eat? Verse 14, question number 14. Tell me what was the book? A mission. Now, all of a sudden, Revelation chapter 10 makes perfect sense to me destruction john is seeing a future event it hasn't occurred yet destruction of millions of people and then what happens in chapter 10 will you help me will you accept a mission now what's the mission going to be no but go back to the description what's the mission going to be he, when he eats it, it's going to be? And every one of you that served, tell me what missionary work is. The hardest thing you will ever do. And yet, the sweetest thing you will ever do. See the description? It's a beautiful description right after two chapters of destruction. And so reason number one we should serve is Heavenly Father is pleading with anyone who can, anyone who will, to save his sheep. 
Will you eat up the mission? And I recognize it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. It will be bitter. And it will be sweet at the same time. How many of you will go? Do you see the why here? Save his sheep. Now, let me give you another why. We did this briefly when we did Book of Mormon. And I got to do it quickly. Normally, we would take an entire hour to build this up. But I want you to remember the tree of life. The tree of life, Lehi's version, is this idea of a tree whose fruit is to make me happy. The problem is there's an imitation. There's a fake happiness that fools a lot of people. And if it fools you, you don't make it to the building. You drown in the river. Everyone who's fooled by the building drowns in the river. So the Lord says, let me help you. Let me give you some help. Let me give you something to hold on to that will keep you out of the river and away from the building and towards the tree. So he gives us a rod. Now the problem with all of this, I've left one more item out. What's the one that's missing? The mist. And I put it in the middle because it affects all of these. The challenge with all of this is we're blind throughout it. There are things that blind me to the love of God. Pain is one of those. A lot of people can't see that God loves them when they're in pain. That's a blinder. That's a, a tree blinder. There are building blinders that blind us to the the danger of the situation. They blind us to the consequences. They blind us to the help. We're blinded to the help. Do you see the irony? We're setting up a problem. God has given help to get through the mist, but we're blind to the mist. I'm sorry, we're blind to the help. Let me say that again. God has given us a rod to get us through the mist but because of the mist, we're blind to the rod. Okay, so after doing this, the Lord says, Nephi comes all around and says, could I understand this? I'd really like to understand this dream. Now, the Lord doesn't just come back and repeat that, does not he? He doesn't show Nephi a tree, a building, a rod, a river, and a mist. He tells Nephi three stories. He says, can you find those? Can you find those in this story? Story number one is the New Testament. He shows Nephi Jesus, his crucifixion, his resurrection, the fight against the apostles. And Nephi says, oh my goodness, I get it. I see the tree. As soon as Jesus is born, I know exactly what the tree is. It's the love of God. In every one of these stories, God manifests his love. And that's the tree. Can you find the tree in the New Testament? Can you find the building? Can you find the imitation thing that they loved instead of Jesus? Can you find the rod that led them to Jesus? And can you identify the mist? Now that's a beautiful study. Can you look at the New Testament and identify rod, building, tree, river, and mist. Let's do this one just briefly. 
It's what I call pharisaical blindness. Pharisaical blindness. What blinded them to Jesus? The Son of God was sitting in front of them and they crucified him. Because what was the blinders? Pretty generic. Go specific. Why did they crucify the Son of God? He wasn't what they expected. Pharisaical blindness is when you reject Jesus because he doesn't do what you want him to do. When he's not the Messiah you want him to be. And that's applicable today, right? Okay, story number two is the Book of Mormon. Nephi, let me show you how this plays out. There's your seed. There's your brother's seed. Your brother's seed are going to destroy your seed. But look, Jesus. I see the tree. I see the tree. What is the manifestation of God's love to the Nephites and the Lamanites? The visit of Christ. Do you see building blindness, mist blindness? Do you see all of the elements in the story of the Nephites and the Lamanites? Do you see the brilliance of what the Book of Mormon does? Can you find all of these here in the story? For example, what was Lamanite blindness? If pharisaical blindness is, he's not the Messiah you wanted him to be, what's Lamanite blindness? Anger. I am blinded by anger. And how often does anger blind? What was Nephite blindness? I don't need God. We are great. Every time the Nephites fall, every time the Nephites go astray, what's their attitude? We don't need God. We're strong. They were blind to their need to God. Do you see the idea? That's the brilliance of the Book of Mormon is we're finding the story. We're finding the elements in all of these stories. Now, if I can do this, if I can find the tree in the New Testament, and if I can find the tree in the Book of Mormon, can I find the tree in the story of my life? That's the homework the Book of Mormon assumes. Can you find the tree in your life? Are you smart enough to identify the building in your life? What are the imitation happinesses that fool you? And what are the myths that blind you? That's a great way to study Tree of Life. But the last story is our day. It's our day. He sees Columbus. He sees the pilgrims. He sees the Revolutionary War. He clearly sets the stage. We are talking America. We're not talking Gentiles scattered all over the world. We're talking America here. We are talking the USA. And as soon as we establish where we're talking, he said, do you see that book they have in their arms? Now, what was the book they had in their arms? The Bible. And the Lord tells Nephi, when that Bible was first written, guess what it contained? Let's go to, yeah, let's go to 1 Nephi 13. Uh, wait, let me hear, let's just jump here. 1 Nephi 13, when the Bible was first written, what does he say in verse 24? It contained the fullness. Fullness. 
What does he say in verse 25? It was pure. And then what happened? Okay, you saw the formation of a great and abominable church. And they have taken away. Notice the emphasis. They have taken away. They have taken away. They have taken away. They have taken out. They have taken away. And then they have kept back. During the apostasy, the Bible lost plain and precious truths. And many covenants. What covenants does no one on this planet participate in except those who are participants of the restoration? So we have lost plain and precious and covenants. Now, the loss of plain and precious truths. The loss of plain and precious truths do what in verse 27? There it is. Do you see it? Do you see? What is the mist in our day? What blinds everyone around you? The misinformation that came about during the apostasy when truth was lost. The world is blind. The world is blind because of the lost, plain, and precious truths. The, the, the description here is powerful. Look at verse 27. They might blind the eyes and harden the hearts. Verse 29, after these plain and precious things were taken away, many go forth to the Gentiles. And because, notice the word because, because of the loss of plain and precious things, because they have lost, because they have been taken away, verse 29, many do stumble. So what is the biggest problem in our day? Let's read this one. After the Gentiles do stumble exceedingly because of the most plain and precious parts of the gospel of the Lamb, which have been kept back by that abominable church. Because they stumble because of the plain and precious parts. So what is the biggest challenge on earth? What's the blindness of the latter days? All the misunderstanding, all the misconceptions, all, boy, and those of you who've served a mission, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's so frustrating when people just, I can't see the truth because of my preconceived notions. Now, do you see the dilemma? What is the tree? Let's read it. I will be merciful unto the Gentiles and I will bring forth. Notice the taken away, kept back, taken away, taken out. And what's God going to do? Bring forth. I am going to bring forth much of my gospel and it shall be plain. What, in what form? 
Let's read verse 35. I will manifest myself unto thy seed, Nephi, and they shall write many things which I shall minister unto them, which shall be plain and precious. These things shall be hid up to come forth unto the Gentiles by the gift and power of God, and in them shall be written my gospel, my rock, and my salvation. What is the greatest manifestation of God's love in our day? It's the restoration. The restoration is God's evidence that he intends to save us, that he hasn't given up on us. So why can't the world see the restoration? The loss of plain and precious truths blind the world to the restoration. So what's the antidote? How do I get through the plain and how do I get through the mist? I grab the rod, but the world can't see the rod. Do you see the dilemma? The Book of Mormon was sent to get people through the mist and to the tree, but why are people rejecting the Book of Mormon? Because of the mist. So the world is blind to the very thing that was sent to take their blinders off. Do you see the dilemma? So what's the solution? You got it. The solution is missionaries who now do the how. So the why is the world is changing and there are a lot of people who are going to die if we don't save them. Can you help the Lord save his sheep? The other why is, do you remember what she said in her talk? They were starving to death, surrounded by food they wouldn't eat. So now... That's the other problem. How do we get them to see the food? And the answer is, almost every case is a person. In almost every case, it's a person. A person that won their heart enough to help them take their blinders off enough to grab the rod for themselves. Now think about who does it in the Book of Mormon. Who does it for Enos? Who does it for Alma the Younger? Who does it for Lamona? Who does it for Lamoni's father? It's almost always someone. Someone. So now that leads us to the how. How do we do missionary work in that sense? Because all I need to do, the purpose of me, the purpose of me, the male, the, the, the human, is to what? Get their blinders off enough that they see the rod, grab it, and then they're fine. The rod will take them the rest of the way, right? My job is to get the blinders off enough to see this and see that. So how? They are not. So the Lord put this in the Book of Mormon. This is so important. He wrote it up in the Book of Mormon. So we're going to turn to Lamoni 
and Ammon. That's the how. So turn with me to, Moron, to, first, to Alma chapter 17. Let's focus on the how, knowing the why, knowing that they're blind to the very source that will help end their blindness, but I have to help them take it off enough to see it. Now the how we do that is written up in this story. James? I was just thinking about the sheep story and how they had the food in front of them, but they were all in the corral or in the pen, whatever you want to call it. And so I think there's a lot of people in the church that aren't even holding the rock. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's about helping everybody take off their blinders and making sure they're holding firm to the rock. Yeah. Because, um, you know, a lot of people are in the, in the fold that aren't eating the food that's right in front of them. In, right. So starved to death, surrounded by food, they are blind to eating. Okay. So we got to do this fairly quickly because I'm going to do it quickly because I know you know the story. The first thing the Lord says, you want to do missionary work? Go forth among the Lamanites, establish my word, be patient in long suffering and affliction. It's going to be better. And the reason you need to be patient in affliction is to show forth good examples. Missionary work isn't what comes out of your mouth. You'll never do missionary work if you think it's what comes out of your mouth. Missionary work is this. Now watch the story. Ammon goes in to where Lamoni is king. They throw, they throw him in prison. When they throw him in prison, they bring him to Lamoni and says, what's your desire? What is your desire? What do you want? Why are you here? And allow me to push a little bit. If you have not served a mission, allow me to push and say, why? Why are you going? What is your joy? What is your, what is your desire? Is it the cheering crowd? Is it the pay that we're going to talk about? Why are you on a mission? And Ammon's answer is phenomenal. What's his answer? I want you in my life. I want you in my life. Whether you join my church or not, I want you. I care about you and I want you in my life. That's missionary work. And if you can't say that, you're missing the point. I want you in my life whether you join my church or not. I desire to dwell among you even until the day that I die. Now, what did that do to Lamoni? Tell me what his desire did to Lamoni. It's starting to soften his heart. He says, I want you to be one. Of, I want you to marry one of my wives or one of my daughters as your wife. And Ammon says, I will be thy servant. Now, does Lamoni know that this is the king of the Lamanite? This is the son of the Lamanite king. Maybe, maybe not. And here comes 
the heir to the throne of the Nephite kingdom and says, I will be thy servant. Now, I don't know why the sheep, I suspect the sheep was Lamoni's test. Do you really, are you really a friend or am I a project? And so I think the sheep came as that test. And when the servants came and scattered the sheep, it was the greatest news for Ammon because why? I think this is one of the most important verses of missionary work you'll ever read. First, the Lord says, be a good example. And then he explains why you need to be a good example. If you're going to be a good example, if you'll be a good example, what will you do? This is missionary work. Ammon saw an opportunity to do what? Win their hearts. Those three words are the very heart and soul of missionary work. Win their hearts so that, and if they believe your words, if they believe your words, what's going to happen? The blinders come off enough to see the rod and to grab it. And then they're going to be okay, aren't they? If we don't win their hearts, they'll never take the blinders off enough to see our words, to believe our words. That's missionary work. We win their hearts. (laughs) Who brings up religion? They bring the arms back. Who is this man? Who is this man? I don't know, but I know two things. Tell me what they know. There is something about him that I haven't seen in other people. There is something about this guy. He's different. And what else do I know? He's a friend. He is a genuine, loves me kind of friend. Well, where is this guy? Oh, he's feeding your horses. And then he says... I've never had a better friend. What if, what if every Lamoni on this planet had an Ammon like that? And I've never had a better friend. I think, I think there's a golden question in missionary work. But the golden question is, sorry, let me get it here. There's the golden question. Who asks the golden question? Lamoni. What's the golden question? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? What do you have? What's happening? When they start to say, who are you? What's happening? And they can see enough to grab the rod. Can I give you one of my favorite who are you stories? I served my mission in Mexico, Mexico City, but I spent a lot of time outside. I, was, I spent some time in a beautiful little farming community called Coahuixla, right out of Coahuila, Mexico. It's where uh, they grow winter tomatoes for the United States. And it was a tough place. Farming was tough. And these farmers were tough farmers. And I, you know, I'm walking around. I'm hard to miss. Six foot four, white guy walking around Kwa Weeks. I was hard to miss. And I caught the attention of a lot of the farmers. And 
<clears throat> one day this farmer pulled up to me and he was just the rudest thing, the rudest guy I'd ever heard. He was so sarcastic of Mer Americans. You guys, you just don't even work hard. You, your lives are so easy. We're the ones that work hard so that you can have this easy life. Show me your hands. I bet you don't have a callus on your hands. So I said, what time do you leave for your farm in the morning? 6 a.m. We'll be there. That's your house right there, right? Yep, we'll be there. 6 a.m. the next morning, two young men in P-Day clothes and machetes show up to go to his farm. Now, my normal day, white shirts, ties, you put me in a t-shirt and give me a machete, that's not work. That's play. So he took us out and said, he, gave us, he, he, he asked us to clear a, a ditch. It was overgrown with weeds. And he said, would you clear this ditch? Sure, you bet. So he put us here. He says, I'll come back to check on you. I'll bring you some lunch. You just go to work. So my companion and I had a race. You're on that side. I'm on this side. We're clearing off weeds with machetes. Now tell me how fun is that? <laughs> you give me a machete in my hand and let me just whack at some weeds every once in a while. Oh my goodness. We, and we start laughing, singing primary songs. He kept checking on us and I'll, I could see him out of the corner of my eye. He would do two things. First, he'd look at where we've been and then he'd watch us with the most puzzled look on his face. It was so funny. He, we hit a beehive. My companion knocked down a beehive. And so we've got these machetes. We're like swinging at the bees with these machetes and laughing the whole time. And he's watching the whole thing. So we ate, we finished the day. He took us home. We worked the whole day. He took us home. He went into the house and he came out with a wad of cash to pay us. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. This was our gift. This was our, we're happy to help. You need us anytime you let us know. We don't need any money. Tell me the next three words out of his mouth. Literally, I mean, the, literally, the next words out of his mouth. Who are you? Who are you? And then we said, now we'd like to answer that question. Because what was starting to happen? Now, do you see it? Unfortunately, let's contrast this. Let's contrast what Ammon did with what Aaron does in chapter 19. Sorry, let's jump to, well, first we've got to see Ammon do it again with Lamoni's dad, right? What happens with Lamoni's dad? When he saw the great love, where is it? Doesn't he see the relationship between yeah. Where is it? Oh, there it is. When he saw the great love that he had for his son, he was astonished exceedingly. Who are you? Ammon did it again. Now let's contrast what Ammon did to what Aaron did. Let's go back to chapter 19. Uh, sorry, 21. Let's go to 21. 
All right, ready? 21. All I need to do is show you those four words. I'll just show you those four words. Aaron walked in and did what? He first began to preach. He walked in and first began to preach. Now tell me what happens in verse 5. Don't learn that the hard way. Social media, don't learn that the hard way. You walk in preaching, it leads to contention. Every time. Now, I don't know. Again, I'm trying to Aaron, give Aaron some benefit of the doubt, but in a contentious envir environment, what's he doing? Tell me what he's doing. He's bashing. I'm going to do what? Tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to prove you're wrong. And I'm right. There it is, right here in print. You're going to hell. I'm not, you are. He starts bashing. Now tell me the result of bashing. Every time. Anger. Mocking. And they won't listen. Because they're already blind. They can't see the truth. They're blind. And you getting yelling at them and telling them that they're blind isn't helping. And they end up in prison. Now, does Aaron learn the lesson? Well, when Aaron was sent to speak to the king of all the land, what does he say? O king, if thou wilt spare our lives, we'll be thy servants. Do you think he learned? Did Aaron learn the lesson from his brother? But what does the king say here? My heart has already been won. You don't need to win my heart. What I want now is someone to teach me truth. Do you see what he needed then and needs now? I don't need servants. I need someone to teach me. My blinders are off. Now I need instruction. Do you see the how of missionary work? And I'll tell you a funny story. Many years ago, Russia passed a law prohibiting proselyting in the streets. It was, I'm sure, their intent to rid the country of these you know, missionaries who come in from other countries. We were forbidden to preach in the street or in the homes. The only place we could preach was in our chapels, in our churches. And Russia thought, hey, this is brilliant. This will end missionary work. The only way you can preach is in your own church. So we got to get people to come into our church to preach to them. So guess what we did? We started serving. In fact, we took off the title missionary. We called them volunteers, volunteers. And their job was to just help. And pretty soon, guess what happened? They flocked into the chapels to be taught because they were loved. What Russia thought would destroy the church 
or missionary work actually made it more successful. Missionary work isn't what we do with our words. If we walk in Ammon's way or Aaron's way, it doesn't cause anyone to pull blinders off. You win their hearts. Then the blinders come off enough to see what they didn't see before and they grab the rod and then they're going to be okay. You're going to be just fine because you've got the rod. But until they take your hand, they'll never take the blinders off. Did you have your hand up? Oh. Do you see the how? Do you see the why? The earth is changing and the world is going to be cleansed. And many of them won't be able to stay unless we help them. And the problem is they're blind to the very solution that will save them. So what they need are you to love them and to take the blinders off. And then they'll grab it and they'll be okay. Now let me leave you with what does he offer you? Let me teach a beautiful doctrine before we turn to missionary work. One of my absolute favorite verses of Scripture is Doctrine and Covenants section 88, verse 40 or 34. Turn there with me if you don't mind. Section 88, verse 34. There is a powerful concept that we often miss. Let me start here. Jesus is what three things in verse 13? Jesus is light, life, and law. Jesus is light, life, and law. Now, in what sense is Jesus law? Go to verse 34. Here is the truth about the law. That which is governed by law. Now, that's me. That's me yielding. That's me deciding to obey the law. And the moment I start obeying the law, tell me what the law does. It preserves, perfects, and sanctifies. The living of the law sanctifies me and perfects me so that I can live more of the law. And when I live more of it, what's going to happen? Do you see that grace for grace process? If you want to be celestial, just lean in and start allowing yourself to be governed by, start living the law. And the living of the law will start to change you. Do you see that concept? Just picture that, that the law surrounds me. Now, the reason I bring that up is the moment you lean into missionary work, Missionary work, guess what? Missionary work will preserve, perfect, and sanctify you. Because of his need, he knows his need. And anyone who's willing to do it, if you lean into the work, 
The work will perfect you. The work will preserve you. The work will sanctify you. Let me show you just a handful of scriptures. Let's start in section four, which hopefully you missionaries quote every day. I did. We, comp- we, we quoted this as a companionship every single morning. Section four of the Doctrine and Covenants. But notice right in verse two, he starts talking not about the, con- not about the converter. No, not about the converted but about the converter. First, some instructions. Lean in. Lean in. Swallow the book. If you will serve him with all your mind and strength, now watch the law cover you. You will stand blameless before God at the last day. Did you hear that? Carissa, did you hear that? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You will stand blameless before God at the last day. Now, I know I'm not trying to say you can go sin and everything's fine. You know what I'm saying. But the payment, the the sanctification that will come into your life, the cleansing, the purification that comes by doing His work will save not just them, It will save you. It will save you. You will stand blameless. And not only that, here's the protection. Ready? Here's the preserved, perfected, and sanctified. Here's the preserved. If you thrust in your sickle, you will lay up in store that you perish not. There is a preservation that comes when you do missionary work. And when you continue to do it for the rest of your life, there is a preservation that comes that you perish not. Section 35, Doctrine and Covenant section, no, 31, let's do 31. Section 31, Doctrine and Covenant section 31. Now, This is where we need to liken. Look at verse 3. To whom? He's not speaking to Thomas B. Marsh. To whom is the Lord speaking in verse 3? Everyone who answered the call. The moment the hour of your mission came. When the hour of your mission came and you answered the call, he asked you to, what's the governed by law? What's the leaning in? Thrust in your sickle. Now watch him preserve, perfect, and sanctify. Because you did the work, watch what the work will do for you. Number one, what's number one? Every sin you've ever committed is gone. This is one of the cleanest human beings on the planet. She is as sinless as a child, except for the last two weeks. (laughs) You walk off the plane with your pay in hand. 
And what is your pay? A remission of all your sins. That's his pay. Now watch preservation. Watch him preserve you. Number two, laden with many sheaves. Laden with many sheaves. Now again, he's not promising riches. That's not the purpose of life, but he will help you. He will help you. He has helped me survive this world. He has laden we, me with many sheaves. And one more. What's the last one? Your family shall live. By doing the work, what does the work do to you? Preserves, perfects, and sanctifies. That is a unique relationship that missionaries have with God. It is absolutely beautiful to watch. With all my soul, I testify that your labors in his kingdom to save his children from the fate that would be theirs without your effort. Your labors to win their heart so that they peek enough out to grab the rod on their own and then they don't need you anymore. Your labors in his vineyard bring you a wage. Jesus said in John 3, He that laboreth receiveth wages. And your wage is that the very work you did will preserve, perfect, and sanctify. Of that I testify and would invite you to stay in that work. Be a good example that causes the world around you to say, who are you? And watch how doing His work will preserve you, perfect you, and sanctify you. And I say that and I testify of that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us for Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This has been class number eight on missionary work. Will you join the cause? Will you help the Lord feed his sheep? Would you ponder and share with someone that you love this week the impact you feel on helping Heavenly Father save his sheep? How are you going to get into their lives so that they lift the blinders up enough to grab the rod? What has happened in your life to help you grab that rod? And how can you help other people grab the rod, find Christ for themselves, find the gospel, and then live with it in their life?